All right, well, I'm going to start with a story I read because I think it'll help bookend our message, and I think you'll like it. It takes a certain kind of heroism to continue to celebrate what deserves to be celebrated, even when all the details go disastrously wrong. A favorite story of mine expressing this kind of spirit is told by Robert Fulgham about a wedding that was produced on an epic scale by an unhinged character known as the Mother of the Bride. The logistics from an 18-piece brass and wind ensemble to gift registries spreading across most of the continental United States to 24 bridesmaids, groomsmen, flower petal throwers, and ring bearers were of a scale usually seen only during the military invasion of a sizable country. But the plans were all working until the climactic moment of the processional. Ah, the bride. She had been dressed for hours, if not days. No adrenaline was left in her body. Left alone with her father in the reception hall of the church while the march of the maidens went on and on, she had walked along the tables laden with gourmet goodies and had absentmindedly sampled first the little pink and yellow and green mints. Then she picked through the silver bowls of mixed nuts and ate the pecans, followed by a cheese ball or two some black olives, a handful of glazed almonds, a little sausage with a frilly toothpick stuck in it, a couple of shrimps blanketed in bacon, and a cracker piled with liver pate. To wash this down, a glass of pink champagne, her father had given it to her to calm her nerves. What you noticed as the bride stood in the doorway was not her dress, but her face. There was no color in it. For what was coming down the aisle was a living grenade with the pin pulled out. The bride threw up just as she walked by her mother. And by threw up, I don't mean a polite little ladylike erp into her handkerchief. She puked. There's just no nice word for it. I mean, she hosed the front of the chancel. This is Robert Fulgham talking. Hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, a ring bearer, and me. Only two people were seen smiling. One was the mother of the groom, and the other was the father of the bride. Fulgham explains how they pulled themselves together for a much quieter, gentler ceremony in the reception hall, and how everybody cried, as people are supposed to do at weddings, mostly because the groom held the bride in his arms through the whole ceremony. And I love this line, no groom ever kissed a bride more tenderly than he but the best part of the story is that 10 years later, everybody was invited back for another party to celebrate this disaster. They watched the whole thing on three separate TV sets. The mother of the bride had had three video cameras going at once during the wedding. And this party was thrown by the mother of the bride herself. So the question can be raised, this is where we're going this morning, how could all these people rejoice when everything had gone wrong? Because in spite of all the mess, the bride still got the groom. At the end of the day, that was all that mattered. The bride got the groom. We're going to journey a little bit through our gospel text this morning, but I want to remind you up front, just so that it's in your mind and you don't miss this, their goal was to get married and they did. What's our goal? Our goal is to know Jesus Christ. That's our goal. 
as a church, what do we say all the time? We want to know Jesus. We want to spend time Jesus. What did we pray in that last song that we sang? We want to be in his presence, and that's what we focus on. We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from him how to live like him. That's our goal, to know Jesus and then to learn this life that he gives us. That's our goal. Even if everything else seems to be going wrong, if you know Jesus, that's the goal. And ironically, in the mercy of God, sometimes when things are going the worst, it's when we draw the closest to Jesus and know him best. I'm saying that now because we need to hear that again and again. We need to be reminded, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, growing in Christ-likeness brings glory to God. It honors the character of God, the image of whom we're made in. So our text this morning is Luke chapter 17. It'll kind of give us a bit of a framework to walk through. Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward story. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. There's, I mean, there's so much going on in this, actually. We're going to mostly focus on gratitude and joy. As Jesus entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy, so some kind of skin disease, stood at a distance. They're not in the village. They're outside of the village. It seems like quarantining people has gone on for a long time. We're not the first. These lepers are quarantined. They're outside of the village, and they're at a distance from Jesus. And they cry out. They know something about Jesus. They recognize him. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We'll talk more about mercy in a couple weeks. It'll be more of a focal point of our text. But I have just noticed how many texts we've gone through in the Gospels where people ask for the mercy of God. And it just seems to me that any time we ask for the mercy of God, Jesus says, yes. You want a prayer that God will answer? Ask for his mercy. Ask for his mercy. Jesus loves to say yes to people who want the mercy of God. He loves to give mercy. Well, Jesus looked at them and he says, go show yourselves to the priests. You can read about this in Leviticus 14. It's what was expected if they were healed. And they, they respond. They, I mean, it's kind of a pretty big act of faith because they're not healed in the moment. And it says, as they went, as they go, as they leave that place, as they head to the priests, they're all cleansed of their leprosy. It's a pretty unique miracle. It's a pretty cool story, actually. But this is where we now turn the corner. One of them... When he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus and he was celebrating. Clear joy in his heart. Praise God. And Luke says he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet. I think he's doing something. At first he was at a distance from Jesus, but now he's drawn near to Jesus. He's right at his feet. And he's thanking him for what he had done. Now, Luke says this man was a Samaritan. We could do a whole sermon on that. That's a big deal to Luke. It's a big part of what Jesus is doing in the kingdom. Verse 17, Jesus asked three pretty big questions that I tried to sit with for a while this week. Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? That's where we're going to start. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Didn't I heal ten? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? This, the last person, anybody, any, any good Jew would have expected to be the one to return is a Samaritan. 
And Jesus says to this man, I love this, stand up, arise, hints of resurrection, stand up, arise and go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. And even, I, I love the story because every, all 10 of these guys are physically healed, but there's something deeper, something, something happening in this man's soul who comes back and expresses joy and gratitude and celebration and praise. And his faith has, you could say, spiritually healed him, I think you could say. So again, there's lots of things we could talk about. We could talk about the mercy. We could talk about what Jesus does for these lepers and bringing them back into the community. We could talk about how Jesus is highlighting a Samaritan and why is he doing this. But we're going to focus in on this spiritual healing expressed through, through faith, through trust, this gratitude and joy. Gratitude is a way of looking at life. It's a way of perceiving the good. We'll talk about that throughout the morning. More gratitude will not come from acquiring more experiences or more things, but it comes from more of an awareness of God's presence and His goodness. And it seems, even as I was reading, that the joy and gratitude, you read about gratitude, they talk about joy. You read about joy, they talk about gratitude. The practice of joy is inseparable from the practice of gratitude because to choose joy is to see all existence as a gift. And I, and I do want to talk about the practice of gratitude, the practice of joy, the choice to, to choose joy, to choose gratitude. It's not just something you feel, it's something you choose by faith. Gratitude gives birth to joy because gratitude teaches us to receive life as a gift in the moment, regardless of what lies ahead. One author talked about the spiraling, I like this picture, the spiraling upwards of joy and gratitude. How many things do we talk about as spiral downwards? No, joy and gratitude work together and you spiral upwards. <laughs> it increases your capacity. It's not diminishing return, it's a greater return. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. And we'll use gratitude again as our framework. Gratitude always involves three factors. You have the beneficiaries. You can see it in the text, too. You got, you've got the beneficiaries, those who, who are receiving the gift. You've got the benefactor, the one giving the gift, doing the good. And then you've got the benefits, the, the good itself. So, you know, you've got these ten lepers. One of them is truly grateful. You've got Jesus, the healer, the one providing the healing. And then you've got this healing that is happening. And you even see between, I mean, you've got beneficiaries, but they have a different level of benefits because one of them responded with gratitude and joy. So the beneficiaries first, let's think about this. The beneficiaries are the ones who receive the good gifts of God. That's you and me. It's everybody. We are the beneficiaries of the benefits of a God who has our best interests at heart, and it's going on all the time. That might be a faith step for you, but but, but the Bible would, yes, God is always at work for our good. And I think one of the things this text tells us is, is, is that our response as beneficiaries, our response matters. Oh, it matters. Ten people receive this gift of physical healing, and 90% of them don't say thank you. Jesus says, where are the other nine? Luke doesn't say that they were any less cured physically, but he does imply that they were less grateful. 
Now, now why? I try to get why. Why might it be? You could write, I mean, you could write some generous stories, maybe. Perhaps, I mean, they've been isolated, they've been quarantined from family. So perhaps, perhaps, they're just so excited that they can be with their family again, that their skins are, that they go to be with their family instead of returning to say thank you to Jesus. We can write generous stories, but you read the gospel text, Jesus doesn't seem to be too in favor of that response. So I don't know that we need to write a generous story. There's a lot of things. I mean, we don't have the details, but I was thinking about two of the extremes, maybe, about what keeps us from, if you will, returning to Jesus to say thank you, to celebrate, to praise Him, to exercise joy. I mentioned the first one. I think both of these are true throughout history, but they're, they're certainly reinforced in the world we live in today. The first is Entitlement. I mean, maybe these 10 men who were, were healed, the nine who don't return, maybe they felt like they had suffered long enough and they deserve this. No, I deserve this. I deserve this. Maybe this sense of entitlement. Uh, we could talk more about it. I'm not going to spend as much time on this this morning, but, but, but I, I submit to you that when we believe we deserve God's good gifts, we are no longer grateful. It's really, really hard to be grateful for something you believe you are entitled to. And I would submit to you as well that the more you think you're entitled to, the less you will be grateful for. The bigger the sense of entitlement, the smaller the sense of gratitude. And I would also submit to you, and I think this is even part of why we see only the one man who's spiritually healed, your soul needs gratitude. (laughs) A grateful heart Without a grateful heart, the soul suffers. You were made in the image of a God. Your your soul needs gratitude. It needs joy. So entitlement is is maybe one of the reasons, but I I think it's possible that there was another reason, and I want to maybe call it my pastoral intuition this morning, or maybe just the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this morning, but I want to focus a little bit more on this Second possibility, this deep awareness within a broken world for human beings who have been hurt, who who have suffered, who know that joy is always risky, that joy makes you vulnerable. Perhaps, Perhaps the nine who didn't return, maybe they were asking the question, what if this doesn't last? I mean, my skin looks good right now, but what if it comes back tomorrow? I don't want to be too excited today because there may be tragedy tomorrow. And from time to time here at Crossview, we will talk about what I like to refer to now as easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity. It kind of lives on the surface of life and doesn't take seriously lament and sadness in a broken world. But I think there's another extreme at work in the world today and maybe even in the church at large. People who go looking for bad news. I think our culture is forming us to be more and more habitually an anxious people. And we are gaining skill at planning for the worst, right? Because horrors could happen. So we start mourning them ahead of time. It's never too early to get a jump start on misery. And as a result, for many of us, no emotion is more frightening than joy. 
Because we believe if we allow ourselves to feel joy, we are inviting disaster. We start dress rehearsing tragedy in the best moments of our lives in order to stop vulnerability from beating us to the punch. We are terrified of being blindsided by pain, so we practice tragedy and trauma. But there's a cost because your soul needs joy. And your soul needs gratitude. That's why Jesus says to the one who returns, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. You've trusted in the goodness of God. And you've had the courage and the vulnerability to celebrate it today. Even if tomorrow is tragic. It's a picture of faith. We can trick ourselves into believing that if we don't take up joy or celebration, maybe, just maybe, it won't hurt so much when grief rises like the tide. We hedge our bets, wait for the other shoe to drop, and protect ourselves from pain by avoiding the wonder and beauty before us. We try to, you could say, shield ourselves from disappointment by not embracing joy. Because, as I said, joy may be the most vulnerable human emotion. And if you find yourself this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm partly saying this because if you find yourself this morning afraid to lean into good news, you're afraid of wonderful moments, you're afraid of joy, if you find yourself waiting for the other shoe to drop, you're not alone. <laughs> That's what I want to say. You're not alone. I don't think it's good for your soul to stay there, but you're not alone. It may even have been one of the things for these nine. You never know. In this fallen world, joy is risky and joy takes courage, and, and even more so if you've been recently hurt or you've come, come, become more aware of something traumatic that happened in your past, joy is risky. We have no idea if our celebrating will turn to mourning or if our mourning will turn to celebrating. And so we wait. We wait in the unknowing. <laughs> we risk the vulnerability of joy, trusting that God... It, Trusting, that, trusting God that it's not a bad risk. That risking the vulnerability of joy in God is not a bad risk. Not because we could count on any outcome, but because we can count on God. <laughs> because we want to know Jesus. And so we practice joy and we practice gratitude and we choose hope. Now, we see it in the story. The apostles challenge us on this, don't they? And they even sound crazy sometimes. Have you read these guys? What does James say? Facing any trial, you should what? Count it all joy? Are you serious, James? What does Paul say? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you crazy, Paul? How do you do that? These are the early leaders of the church, and they are writing the Christians. But even these Christians need to be reminded to be grateful. So if you need to be reminded this morning, it's okay. You're in good company. <laughs> but, but receive the reminder. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to receive the reminder to practice, to choose gratitude, even in any circumstance, good or bad. I think the apostles believe that even when good gifts are lost, the giver remains. <laughs> they have a good gift, it's lost. Well, the giver remains, and the giver is the ultimate source of joy to begin with. 
And so we ask God to protect that part of us that's courageous enough to believe that good things happen because good things do happen. One author says this, a baffling part about walking with a God who does not keep bad things from happening is that it's clear that he also makes good things happen. (laughs) And often, this God, in, in theology, we would say he's free. He's maddeningly unpredictable. <laughs> and as the beneficiaries, what I want you to see this morning is that our response matters. Our response matters to Jesus, to the one who returns your faith has healed you. To the nine that, where are the other nine? Aren't there another nine? Where are they? <laughs> I'm right here, Jesus says. Why aren't they drawing near to me? Well, let's talk about the benefactor. Gratitude requires that there be a benefactor. A benefactor is one who does good. I like this, a benefactor. You know, bene means good. It's almost like the benefactor is a factory of good, right? Just producing good, producing good. And to be a grateful person, to care for your soul, you must recognize the benefits or gifts that come your way are not just random acts. They are not just accidents. They are coming from someone who has good intentions for you. I mean, maybe one of the biggest acts of faith for some of us in hard times is to believe that God is good, but it's so important that you believe that God is good because he is good. Because the clearest expression of who God is is Jesus Christ on the cross giving his life so that you and I can have life. Let me use bad grammar here, but it doesn't get gooder than that. That's who God is. To be grateful as a Christian, you must believe that the good that is in your life comes from God, not from your own efforts or merit, and that's going to challenge some things that you've learned. You might think you deserve what you have. You've just worked harder, or you're just smarter. Well, the Bible would say, no, every good gift you have is a gift from God. You didn't earn it. It's not yours by merit. It's not from others who might want to impress or manipulate you for their gain. No, God generously and graciously gives. That's what he does. So remember, good things do happen, and I believe they happen because of the mercy of Jesus. And we have to learn to trust God. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Learn to trust God and be open to receiving the good things that he has for you. Henry Nouwen described joy as the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, even death can take that love away. He explains that joy doesn't happen to us by accident. We choose joy or not every day. It's a choice, he says based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing can take God away from us. Because joy comes from the knowledge of God's love for us, it remains even when we meet disappointment or grief. Now in writes, we are are inclined to think that when we are sad, we cannot be glad, but in the life of a God-centered person, sorrow and joy can exist together. Because what did I say at the beginning? What's our goal? Is our goal to to be happy all the time 
and to, and to get to a place in life where we can do whatever we want, whenever we want? Is that our goal? Because if it is, that's not Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal is that you and I would know him and that we would know his life. So even if circumstances are hard and you and I can be sad and we can lament together and we can cry out, what is going on? We can also be joyful because God is with us and we're not alone. And the one who gives all good gifts is still there and he may just do it again. (laughs) That's who God is. That's what he does. He's our benefactor. Again, to practice joy is not to cultivate optimism, affect cheerfulness, or downplay pain. Like a swimmer who practices their strokes, we intentionally and habitually open ourselves to God's unconditional love. We practice living in the reality that His love is deeper and more substantial than any need we could present to God. It's the benefactor. Well, let's talk about the benefits. We could spend a fair amount of time talking about the benefits, but in order to be grateful, you have to receive and recognize a gift that you believe is good. You find it favorable. I mean, I just did a lot of reading this week. There's some low-hanging benefits. There is overwhelming evidence that gratitude is good for us physically, emotionally, and mentally. I mean, I think that's because There is a design for humanity, and gratitude is good for your soul. That you were made to live out of joy because that's our God. And there's research that shows that gratitude is correlated with better sleep, increased creativity, decreased entitlement, decreased hostility and aggression, increased decision-making skills, decreased blood pressure, the list goes on. I mean, that's low-hanging benefit. So if I go to the deepest, most foundational level of benefit, I mean, you're here today. I mean, I know there's a variety of spiritual journeys in the room today, but you're here today. Most of you are here because you want the Jesus life. A few of you are here because you're curious about the Jesus life, and we're thrilled that you're here. We'd love to talk to you because there is no life as satisfying and complete as the Jesus life because no one else delivers on every promise except Jesus Christ. And no one loves like Jesus. You don't have to perform for Jesus. You don't have to try to please him. He died for you while you were still a sinner rebelling against God. He loves you. And there's so much peace and purpose and hope in a life with Christ. But even as I was reading even about joy and gratitude, I kept kind of seeing this, like, people want to feel more alive. We want to be alive. We don't want to be just surviving. We don't want to be spectators. We want to be living And I honestly think gratitude is one of these little secrets. You think you need to buy this or do that. No, no. gratitude, being grateful even for a little, is one of these little little secrets to make you more alive. I mean, it's one of the ways that Jesus, the Spirit moves to, to make our lives richer. Gratitude makes us appreciate the value of something. And when we appreciate the value of something, we extract more benefits from it. We're less likely to take it for granted. In effect, gratitude allows us to participate more in life. We notice the positives more, and that magnifies the pleasures you get from life. Instead of adapting to goodness, we celebrate goodness. So some of you may be thinking, my my life feels stale. I I want to live more. Well, honestly, it sounds so basic. 
But in prayer, practice gratitude. Practice joy. We talk about the spiritual disciplines. Practice celebration. You don't have to do it alone. Throw a party. Invite people from church. I'm having a party of joy in Christ. Come on over. (laughs) So here's two super practical things that that you can do. Uh, They're things that I do. I, I mean, I think so much of the transformation on some of this stuff happens in prayer. I mean, prayer is just, we're, we're, we're sitting with Jesus. And I was thinking about this, and this, maybe this first one is, I think I do this all the time, but this may be more for those, because I talked a bit to those of you who are in difficult circumstances, that some of you are in great, and that's great. We, I mean, we need, we need each other. But maybe this is more for those of you in a season where everything seems to be going well. Life is just great. I pray just about every day as a part of my prayer time, the first five verses of Psalm 103. Let me just give you a flavor for Psalm. I do this almost every day of my life. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I pray this, and forget not all his benefits. Now, what does the psalmist list as the benefits? The first one, don't forget this. Maybe you forgot this. Don't forget. He forgives all my sins. Joy! Party! Thank you, Jesus. You forgive all my sins? All my sins. Says he heals all my diseases. Now, that might look different at different times, different, but, but I always like to remember, remind people, eternity's a long time. <laughs> Jesus is going to heal all your diseases. He will. He may do it sooner. It's up to him. But eternity is a long time. Eternal life is a long time. Life, victory over death is a pretty good thing. That's yours in Christ. He redeems me from the pit. It's a pretty important, I've studied the Psalms a bit. It's a pretty important metaphor in the Psalms. The pit is when you're in the pit. You can't get out. It's dark. There's, there's no ladder. There's no rope. There's no food. You're just down in the pit. Well, he redeems us from the pit. That's what Jesus does. And I love this. He crowns me with, with love and tender mercies. And the psalmist says he satisfies me with good. Why? Because he's my benefactor. He's a factory of good. He's always producing good. That's who this God is. So I invite you, join me. Pray Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5 every day. Whether it's a good day or not, remind yourself to not be entitled. You don't deserve, no, it's everything. You were born into this world with nothing. Everything you have is a gift. So say thank you to Jesus. And the second thing, again, another prayer that you can pray, pretty simple. I, I really think we should pray this all the time, but for those of you where it feels a little bit more like this foreboding joy. You want to be joyful, but you've just been hurt, and it feels so risky. And you don't know how to move forward. You're not alone, but how do you move forward? Well, then maybe this week you pray with Jesus in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Just see what happens in your soul when you sit with Jesus, and, and maybe say out loud, even if you're in the car by yourself, 
maybe in tears, maybe you're fighting as you say it, but you pray it because your soul needs you to, because I, I, I know most of you, you know, I actually think this is your prayer. Jesus, I want your will more than mine. Pray it. I like that prayer. Why do I like that prayer? Well, Jesus prayed it, so that's a great prayer. But practicing this type of prayer is an act of releasing your grip or your control or your plans or maybe even releasing your desires to the will of God and trusting Him wherever it may lead. Saying, not my will but yours does not deny what you desire. It doesn't ask you to be dishonest before God. It allows you to admit your desire to God. I know my will. I know what it is. I'm admitting it to you, God. I know what I want. You admit it to yourself. Maybe that's even more, but God already knows it. But maybe you admit your desire to yourself, but then trust God enough to, what we could say, let him relativize your own longing. It's not denying the goodness of desire, but it's a decision It's a choice to desire God more. With this prayer, we ask to want whatever God wants. And I think it's one of the places that births joy. Not my will, but yours. Father, I want your will more than I want mine. You pray this. It's a type of abandonment that leads to joy But you're praying to a God who is trustworthy and good, and he loves to give blessings. And sometimes, and some of you know what I'm talking about right now, sometimes you can't see the goodness unless you squint, right? Where is this? Where is it? Oh, there it is. I see it. You pray the prayer while squinting, looking for the, not my will, but yours, God. And I was thinking, you know, since I've been back from sabbatical, I've actually, and, I'm, and I mean this sincerely, I've been greeted with some very difficult stories. I mean greeted because I never want people to feel bad. I, I actually consider it one of my greatest privileges. I tell people all the time when they ask about what I do, you know, I get to hear the stories that no one else gets to hear. And I'm thankful for that. I, I consider it one of my highest privileges. So I don't share those details. There are other people's stories to tell, but I can tell you on several occasions now, I have sat with people in our church family, and I just listen. And I've found myself saying to a handful of people, I don't think you have any good choices in front of you. I mean, you are in a pit. This is hard. I I don't know how you get out of the pit. But we're brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a moment when you're, what, two or three are gathered, right? When you, when you acknowledge the presence of Jesus and there's, and there's this, whether it's verbally stated or just this felt, but God moment. And I've watched and I've seen people in, in the pit with no rope ladder to get out. No, but God, and, and somehow even in the pit, they're finding joy. <laughs> and people who have all kinds of hard things happening are sitting, we just cried and now we're laughing. And we're declaring what we're thankful. I've seen it happen. It ha- it's happening in our church. Again, the, the, the book of Revelation ends with this picture of the wedding, the wedding feast. Right? That's why I started with a wedding story. I didn't want to talk about vomit this morning. The story just worked. But I want to remind you that at the end of the story, the bride gets her groom. 
the groom, Christ gets his bride, the church. It happens. I know there's a lot of hard things happening, but remember, if the goal in life is to know Jesus and draw near to Jesus, well, we get so entitled, sometimes we need hard things, and that's when we're closest to Jesus. And be thankful for that. Be thankful. Maybe even counterculturally, paradoxically, you have a joy party in the midst of your sorrows because Jesus is with you. We aren't going to take your sorrows lightly. No, we, we, we will lament with you. But remember, we draw close to Jesus. That's the goal. And in the hard times, he is refining us so that we can live like him and know in even deeper and more pro- profound ways this abundant life that God has for us. Amen? I'll say this, and then I'll pray. I I like to say this. If it hasn't finished well, it hasn't finished yet. Remember that. So be grateful for what you have today, and and, and just keep waiting, because your God is good. He's a benefactor, a factory of good. Let's pray. Father, we are not praying that you will make all circumstances work in our favor, or that our joy will never be mingled with grief. No, instead we pray that as lesser delights dissolve in the face of pain, we might slowly find where enduring joy lies. And we pray that far under the surface of our lives, however easy or difficult, there would be a deep source of joy, a constant current of love that will never run dry. Lord, we will be honest about the vulnerability of joy, but we will not be people who go looking for bad news, and we will not be preparing for the tragedy and trauma of tomorrow because we are anxious. No, we are people who believe in a good God, and we declare a gospel of good news of a God who took our suffering so seriously, he entered into it himself. He let evil do its worst to him, and he overwhelmed it with life. That's who we want to be. Help us be a grateful people, a joyous people. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.